Let's turn to the scriptures now. Uh, we're still in the book of Acts series, chapter 2. Going back to the beginning, this will be a little bit more of a launching pad today. A message entitled, it's a question that I am wondering and probing for myself and for you. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? First, uh, these two verses, I'll read it for us. And they, the first Holy Spirit-filled church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is God's words for us so far. Thanks be to God. First, Holy Spirit moved filled church. First followers of Jesus. Upon his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God the Father, devoted to teaching. They loved the word of God. They loved how God spoke into their souls, moved and led, corrected, guided them. They were devoted to fellowship. I have tried to better define that through the modern English word friendship. They were devoted to friendship among Christian people. Third, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread, this is not just regular common meals at homes, which of course they did frequently. They were devoted to hanging out, but they're devoted to communion, which we do once a month. Jesus promises by his spirit to attend to us, strengthen us, and to be there every time we do the breaking of bread. Fourth, prayers prayers let's face it christ central southern california is not devoted to prayers ccsc is not devoted to prayers at least publicly right i mean if you just go through our church activities or calendars or updates or newsletters i mean how often are there prayer meetings? I don't think reputationally, I don't think culturally together, CCSE is uh, devoted to prayers. I trust and I hope, oh, I really, really hope, individually, personally, you are devoted to prayers. If you're a believer and follower of Christ, that you are humble and faithful. It is tragic, however, that Culturally or publicly, we may not be. Given most of our spiritual heritage, an immigrant spiritual heritage, we do know our generations before us were utterly devoted to prayer. Some people like to say, well, pastor, you know, when it comes to my prayer life, Jesus told me, you should go into a closet, keep it quiet and secret. That's good. I really hope you're in the closet, quiet and secret, pray. I've joked about this before, but some of you, it's so secret, you don't know it's there. Nobody knows it's there. Prayer is, this sermon on prayer is, one of the most important things you can do with your time, or it's a complete waste of time. There's nothing in between. And the reason I say that is the entire Bible talks about it. 
All of church history points to it. My little life, pastoral life, marriage, family, and gospel ministry at the church has unequivocally, repeatedly told me all health, holistic health, beginning with spiritual health, which affects your minds and your bodies and your emotions, all health, all shalom, all growth, real, deep, authentic, lasting change, renewal happens happens in prayer or it dies without it it's really that simple and it's that proven so three things today as i customarily do i'm going to ask us why don't we pray first is why we don't pray second what to do to learn and grow in prayer third what god does in prayers first why we don't number two what to do number three what God does. First, why we don't. There is a mistaken assumption that there are just some people in the world who are naturally praying types. <laughs> you know, their personalities are inclined to it. They're just more spiritual. Huh? Emotionally, psychologically, there's a personality type even to it. And so you kind of just dismiss some people who have a robust, natural almost. Like you can bank on it that that person is praying. Say, oh, good for them. But, you know, that's them. I, I, I'm not them. Are some people really just more spiritual? More disciplined? They just got more... Strength of will and endurance because prayer sometimes is just so hard and boring. They just plow through it and they keep at it. Let me dispel this from scripture today. Today, because that helps nobody. When you think that some other people are just more spiritual and praying types, you are excusing and dismissing yourself. Look at the scriptures today. Why we don't pray has nothing to do with natural inclinations. It actually doesn't have so much to do with you at all. Look at Psalms chapter 63. Psalm 63, we're going to begin at verse 1 here. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Question. Is the psalmist praying here because he or she is more spiritual than you? Do the psalmist pray because they're more disciplined than you? No, the psalmist here prays because he's falling apart. The psalmist prays because he does not have it together. The psalmist prays because he's hungry and thirsty and fainting, fainting. Figurative, yes. But please, take it somewhat literally. I can't live unless I do this. The psalmists pray not because they were strong, but because they were weak. Like really weak. Desperately weak. That's why they prayed. 
maybe one of the reasons why you and I tend to not pray is not because you are so strong. It's not because you are so weak. You are not weak enough. You are not weak enough. Not even close. If you're not praying. Huh. The common thread as your pastor of when I've been so moved, so blessed and wrecked and inspired by you praying. Oh, I've heard and just been so mesmerized by some of your prayers. But there's a common thread to it. You were losing your health. You were going through such a crisis with your family or your children. You were so deathly afraid of how your children were going to turn out. You were losing a loved one. It was at a funeral. Your business and all of your future was just looking really bleak. Maybe you were not holding on to your marriage. My privilege to be close to you when you pray earnestly and desperately. What's the common thread? You realized your only hope and comfort in life and death is God. So you prayed. You heard of foxhole prayers? Foxhole prayers? Non-believing soldiers, they'll pray. They may not even believe in God. You might as well throw that gamble up. You'll pray. My friends, CCSE doesn't pray. We don't pray because you are not weak enough. It's a question of weakness. It has nothing to do with natural personalities, inclinations, and discipline types. It has to do with the psalmist here saying, my flesh faints, my soul thirsts. I'm in a dry and weary land, and I think I'm going to die unless I pray. There's a movie entitled Shadowlands. Uh, it's based upon C.S. Lewis, the brilliant author, became a Christian convert. Based upon the love story of uh, C.S. Lewis with Joy, who was an American poet. Joy was battling cancer. And they received some news of some progress, some improvement in her condition in that film. And a chaplain, a friend of C.S. Lewis by the name of Harry, came up to C.S. Lewis to compliment him with these words. I know how hard you've been praying, and now God is answering your prayers. You see, Joy, her condition is improving because you are praying so hard. Do you know how C.S. Lewis replied to that quote? That's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time. Waking and sleeping, it doesn't change God, it changes me. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time. Whether God answers those prayers according to the way that I would like. Friends, certainly desperation, foxholes, crises, emergencies, 
life or death situations, neediness is not the only reason to pray. But as your pastor, I'm pretty safe in saying this, it's probably the most powerful beginner's motive to pray. Utter weakness and desperation and neediness is a great incentive to begin with. But as you learn and grow in a life of prayer, there is praise and adoration for God. There is love in communion with God. There are pleasures in loving God and being loved by God that I think for many of you is still too foreign. But we can begin here. Why don't we pray? Why don't you pray? Really, why don't you pray? How many sermons and Bible studies? How many churches you got to go to? But how come it doesn't translate into you actually going home and really praying? Why? You don't feel the need to. Why do you not feel the need to? Because your brain and your soul is deluded You do not have a grasp on reality. You are warped. You are conformed to this world. You still believe in yourselves, don't you? You still have a lot of self-reliance, don't you? You still think you're so smart. You still think you got resources and money and powers and skills, don't you? You still think things are just going to get by. Oh, that's all going to work out. It's fine. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? When will God bring renewal? He has to make us weak. All right, so here's what we can do. Here's what we can do to learn or begin a life of prayer. I know during the pandemic, a lot of people developed habits, both helpful and harmful. Habits. Habits. What are habits? Those are regular go-to things you do. Ah, so here's one thing we can do. One thing we we begin to learn from Psalm 63. Regularity. Regularity. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 63. When I remember you upon my bed... And meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. He's praying at night. He's praying upon his bed. He's praying in the dark. He's praying when he's alone. He's praying maybe when he is lonely. Or maybe when he is tempted. Maybe when he is feeling some depression. He is praying at night and throughout the night. Now you know the Psalms are all meant to be read. They're strung together. We're the ones that came along and put in the number 63, 64, 65. And if you read all the Psalms together, which is a song book or prayer book, you will notice that the psalmist prayed not only at night, but the morning after and in the day and throughout the day. There is regularity to it. There's a rhythm to it. There's a consistency to it. There's something when you look at someone's life, I can bank on it. He or she is regular in prayer. And when you are regular at something, just like these psalmists were, were, they got better at it. They developed it. You know, when you first work out, yes, you do have to strain. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you need to sweat. But you all know this, right? From physical fitness coaches, 
The more you strain, the more you push your limits, the more you go to the end, the stronger and healthier you become. The more regularity, the more you push, the more you exert. I know it's hard. I know it's hard in the beginning. But as you develop regularity to it, your soul, your communion, your closeness, your potency, your witness for the gospel becomes stronger and healthier. You know, when we commissioned off Kindred Presbyterian Church, led by Pastor Daniel Dinko, 70, 75 of some of our best members went to be the core launch team there. Pastor James Kim came along and gave this charge to Dinko and that team. Quote, pray willingly or pray desperately. Oh, I really like that because it's 100% proven true. Pray willingly or pray desperately. Either way, you're going to end up praying. If you're a believer, you are going to end up praying. Why not willingly? Why not proactively? Why not preventatively? Why not the way the psalmist did it? Friends, when you had a miserable day at work, 12-hour day, or at home, utter chaos, or you feel like I can't take it anymore, some tragic news hits you, what is your go-to move? In other words, what do you regularly do? What do you do? Lose yourself in some activity, right? Binge on TV. You may shop. You may call a friend. You talk. You may have a drink, too many drinks. You may go and work out. But what is the go-to move for the psalmist? Their go-to move and your go-to move is developing neural pathways, right? It's carving out, it's deepening pavement in your brain. Whatever your go-to move is, is the thing that makes you used to that go-to move. You're going to continue to go to that move. But look at here in verse 7. But you have been my help. What better move can you make than to go to God for divine help? For refuge. For joy under the shadow of his wings. Now I run into a whole host of other problems. Is after God does help me after I prayed. I don't know if you can relate to this. What do you do after you've been praying earnestly. Because there is something so urgent and important for you. That you really must have God answer. What do you do after he answers it? What do you do when you experience some resolution or relief? Do you know what this pastor has done? I'm sorry to say. I've tended to stop praying after I got what I wanted by praying. Now, why would that be? Why is there such irregularity to your prayer lives? How come you pray only in certain desperate seasons, and then when you get what you want in that season, the next season, prayer just goes missing? My confession is that so often this pastor has prayed earnestly, desperately, 
to get what I want in prayer, but after what I get what I want in prayer, what's the need for prayer? Oh, but don't you see? Have you ever considered? Do you know what God wants in prayer? Do you know what God wants in praying? And God wants way more than what you want in your praying. God wants you. God wants me. God wants you regularly. God wants you. God wants you. God wants you. Do you know if God wants you so much, that's why he's going to keep you regularly praying? Because God wants you and me in a position, in a posture in which we grow most. Hey, uh, if you're a Christian person today, how many of you came to Jesus that first day with uh, strength? You had it all together. If you did, you never became a Christian. And if you came to Jesus in utter desperation, nothing to give, nothing to contribute, total weakness, may I suggest to you, God wants to keep it that way because that's how you grow best. So how will God make someone like me regular in prayer? How will he break this pattern? You know, Harold will pray for a season because like, man, I just can't stand this problem crisis. But then miraculously, God, oh, I mean, he really always miraculously kind of just resolves it and deals with it. And on the other end of that crisis, oh, I exhale and like, oh, wow, time to vacation and just take it easy. Well, again, your pastor realizes the only reason I stopped praying is because I enjoy reassuming the position of some kind of sovereignty and mastery and comfort and control and ease. But the reason why God wants to keep me praying is because he wants to continue to break that illusion that I have about myself. Because it is far more dangerous, friends. Listen to me close. It is so lethal for anyone in this room as a Christian human being to think that you are mastering or controlling anything. So God will bring about regular prayer. That's one thing we can learn. That's one thing you can do. Hmm? Feel like it, don't feel like it. When you don't feel like it, it's because you're not in touch with spiritual reality. When you do feel like it, thank God, he's merciful to you. And the regularity that we can develop here at CCSE is essential I mean, there's no way around that. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. And the prayers. A group of six of us, your session, they are elders. Who I can't really thank enough, but I tried over the weekend. We had a retreat for renewal and for the beginnings of vision casting. Uncanny, do you know the theme that we all really share together? Is that if God loves you, 
if God really wants to use you, he will create weakness. He will make you weak. And he'll keep you weak. Did you know that if you want to be really useful and potent for the kingdom of God, it's your strengths that get in the way? It's your tendencies and pride and self-reliance that get in the way. But God will make and keep you weak to make you strong in him. To make you strong in him. Regularity. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? You're not weak enough. What can you do? Regularity. Regularity. Now here's what God does. Oh man. So many things, but I just got three real quick. Here's what God does. Number one, he will redirect you, redirect you. In verse one, we had read, I am hungry and thirsty and my soul is fainting. Therefore, I cry out in prayer. Now look at verses two through four here. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. How does a psalmist turn from such desperation where it feels and sounds like his life is utterly unlivable in verse 1 and then transitions to verses 2, 3, and 4? Your steadfast love is better than life. I'm so ecstatic with praise. I lift up my hands. What happened here? Verse 2. When I looked, when I looked, I have looked. In prayer, God gets you to look at things the way God does, not just the way you used to look at things. In prayer, God redirects your mind, your interpretation, your narrative, your conclusions, your explanations, your rationale. Your cause and effect. One person here can be going through such awful trials. Another person right over here going through the same exact awful trials. But this person over here looks at it the way that natural people would look at it. But over here, this person looks at it the way that a supernatural God would look at it. Do you have redirection? Have you ever been redirected? Like, you know, you were so sure. This is plan A. It's option A. I know I'm going to do this. This is my goal. And then you came into prayer. And you looked and you looked and you looked. And then God caused you to see things and discern things and interpret things. And he actually kind of showed you even maybe how this may turn out. And he redirected you. That's what God can do for you in prayer. God wants you to look at, interpret, discern, respond, initiate, and act out more in God's way, not your own way. Because if you didn't know by now, God's way is always far superior than your way. There are countless number of times in which this person can naturally respond to a certain situation. All of you have an MO, right? It's a natural thing. You're like, enneagrams will do that for you. That's how you naturally respond to things. Do you really think all situations and crises of life, that your natural MO is suitable and appropriate for that? 
Do you honestly think your natural skill set, your natural outlook, your natural wisdom is sufficient for all of life? Who are you kidding? What you really need more than your natural MO is divine redirection. Don't you think? And that only happens in prayer. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. I think this is, I love these two verses more than Romans 8, 28, which is pretty famous. If you don't know that, go and read it. Verse 28, but here's 26 and 27. <clears throat> Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. <laughs> this is why I love it already from the start. I'm so weak in prayer, but he helps me in my weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit in himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what, the mind, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As you pray, as you learn to pray with some regularity... God redirects you to believe and to discern. He illuminates the very will of God. Redirection. Second thing God will do for you. He will replenish you. He replenishes. He replenishes. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 of Psalm 63 once again. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. That language, that language, have you ever been so famished? You're almost saving yourself for that luxury dinner that evening. You know, the anticipation of it. You almost daydream about that meal. It gets all your juices flowing. Your mouth is watering. And those first early bites and drink, oh, how sweet. What a gift from God. And just like when your body is hungry or thirsty and you've been kind of saving for it, looking forward to it, think about the delight that you have. Think about physically the sensations, the delight you have when you eat. The psalmist says here, God does that for my soul in prayer. God does something just like that to satisfy, replenish me, in prayer. So who gets replenished in prayer here? I ask that in no condemning, interrogation way. Not at all. No, I say it to encourage and bless you. Anytime the subject, topic, meeting, activity of, hey, let's get together to pray. I wonder how many people ever respond with, wow. Wow. I can't wait because it's like that fine meal I can have that one day at a dinner that I've saved myself for. And the reason you respond like that is because you're not used to getting replenished in prayer. Right? Do you know what it's like to be replenished in prayer? Do you know what that feels like? Have you ever really tried and here's what I mean by have you ever really tried? Have you lingered, waited? Have you prayed until it happens? Have you prayed until replenishment, satisfaction happens? It takes me five to ten minutes at least. Typically, 
when I go out onto a track near Cerritos, I told you, I'm so lame at praying, I actually have to do some physical exercise to it. Hopefully no phone, no headphones. And the first 10 minutes is what? I am praying to God, but God is so gracious and patient with me. First 10 minutes, my brain is just on overdrive. It's just called American life. The task to be done. Crises. Oh, I didn't sleep well last night. Oh, what am I going to eat later? My daughter is going through this. Oh, I'm a little concerned. What am I going to do tonight? All kinds of things just racing through my head. Then about after 10 minutes, it starts to, you know, the motor starts to slow down a little bit. Your heart settles. Physically, it helps me a little bit to get out into fresh air. And as I've been continuing to pray, now my brain is a little more clear and settled where I begin to actually say some stuff to God. Oh, it takes me five to ten minutes that I'm not even really saying anything to God. It's like I'm just getting ready to say some things to God. But even when I'm not saying things to God, the Spirit helps us in our weakness with, two groan with groaning too deep for words. God is even accepting all of that. And then about ten minutes in, something starts to happen. And I'm starting to speak, starting to be honest. I'm starting to confess things, or I'm starting to say things, and I'm starting to request things from my Lord. And then not every time, but sometimes, sometimes, 15, 20, maybe 30, maybe an hour in, there's, a, there's moments that hit me, where my soul feels so satisfied. It's being replenished. How do you gauge replenishing prayer? Have you ever had it? Do you want it? How do you know if you're having it? Well, my friends, like with anything really good in life, you don't want it to stop. You don't want it to stop. You lost track of time. Because my soul can't believe how replenishing this moment is. That's what God does for you in prayer. Redirects, replenishes. Last thing, a third R, reality, reality. The best part of prayer is what? What is the best part of prayer? Verse 1, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Verse 2, I looked upon you, beholding your power and glory. Verse 3, your steadfast love is better than life. Verse 4, I will bless you. Verse 5, I will praise you with joyful lips. Verse 6, when I remember you. Verse 7, for you have been my help. And then we read here in verse 8, verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. We tend to be so narcissistic, we miss the whole point. The best part of prayer is you. The reality of God made manifest. 
the presence and the movement and the pleasure of God making himself known to you. It's you. It's you. Your steadfast love is better than life. Really? Really? It was true for the psalmist. Why can't it be true for you? Hmm? Why can't that be true for you? Why must the Bible, why must when it comes to prayer, always be like a distant postcard? It's good for someone else, but it's never for you. Is there a hint of exaggeration here in the Psalms? Why can't this be true for CCSE? Why can't this become the regular MO and culture or go-to move as a church? And if and when it does, your love is better than life. And I will lift my hands up in joy. Praise you. Praise you. A fellow pastor shared this humorous meme about Top Gun characters representing different denominations or spiritual traditions in the Christian faith. I found it very, very funny and true. The character of Goose, at least Top Gun 1, Goose, Goose, singing his heart out, unabashed, expressive, musical. Who would Goose most represent? The Charismatics, right? The Pentecostals. And to this day, I have many charismatic friends who humble and teach us and need to teach us so much. Now, which of the Top Gun characters, at least the original one, best represent Presbyterians or Reformed Presbyterians? It's none other than Iceman. Iceman, Val Kilmer. The one who knows the book, carries out the book. He knows he's right. He lets everybody know he's right. He thinks he's right. He comes off as cocky and confident of how right he is. But my friends, every, every person in every spiritual denomination in every church has major weaknesses. Iceman is dead wrong when it comes to do or die situations. <laughs> May we... I don't mean this as a joke, but repent of the Iceman syndrome. <laughs> and as we just heard from Pastor Daniel Penn in the beginning of this worship service, we love because God first loved us. So listen, my friends. Oh, it's just amazing of our God. You will, make, you will never make any move toward God unless God is making moves toward you. You are never, ever wanting to pray unless God is first wanting you, you, unimaginably more so. We love because he first loved us. If you feel his absence, if you feel like he's stone cold, if you feel like he's been so silent, you do wonder, God, must you hate me by taking me through all kinds of crises and sufferings and sufferings upon sufferings? And yet if you come to him in prayer, God all along has been wanting to redirect you, replenish you, and to give you his reality, his reality.
Friends, don't be too scared. Don't be too worried. Prayer is something that should be the most natural for every child of God because all you have to begin with is, I admit I'm so weak. And I will tell you, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings. I can't tell you enough how Pastor Daniel Penn, who has led prayer meetings over at the Artesia campus, I haven't seen someone do it better. You actually can just come sit here, just observe. You don't have to do anything. There is no one more easy, more gentle, more organized, more clarifying But I ask of you right here at 1145, when we meet in this auditorium, Pastor Daniel Penn has a gift. He has something that God has given to him in order to lead and grow us to become a praying church. And my friends, please seize this opportunity. Give us some credit here at the Presbyterian Church. You were supposed to sign up your kids. You were supposed to RSVP. We will adjust. If you didn't RSVP, just drop them off last minute. It's okay. We want you here. But you know what? I know someone else who wants you in prayer. And I can't explain it or describe how much he wants his people close to him in prayer. Psalm 63, like every single psalm, you can pray it to Jesus. But we should always ask, how could Jesus have prayed this himself? How could Jesus have prayed this himself? When you and I are weak, when you and I are hungry and thirsty, when we have no other hopes left, all your options ran out, and you cry out to God. God will not still only take you in, but he will make every verse of Psalm 63 come true for you. And the only reason God makes that come true for you is because he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who when he was hungry, when he was thirsty, when he was faint, and he was most desperate, hanging upon a cross, and he cried out for a relief and an answer to his prayer, everything about Psalm 63 became untrue for him. Untrue for Jesus, all of it becomes true for you. Replenishment, redirection, reality. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is nobody here who can get us to pray. Holy Spirit, help us in our weakness. Stir us supernaturally. Expose and make And keep us weak. Keep us weak. So we might show and see your strength. Oh Lord, hear us this day. Hear us throughout this day as we gather for prayer. Hear us in the seasons ahead that you would keep us regularly clinging to you. So that your strength, your salvation your love, steadfast love, which is better than life, may be known. Hear us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.